Dotnet Rocks episode 647 with guest Adam Driscoll. Recorded live Monday, February 21st, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. Hey, man. Hey, it's .NET. It's good. It's .NET. It's good. Um, not feeling very banterish today. Ah, it's all right. We could just do better know a framework. All right, let's do it. Today, I'm calling out a website. Oh. And I know this is like better know a framework. It's about the framework, but in a roundabout way, it is. But I find that people enjoy these little callouts and these little links. Yeah. So PowerShell.com. If you had, if you're doing any PowerShell and you don't know about this, you're welcome. <laughs> Otherwise, if you haven't been hiding under a rock, you probably do. It's it's a community, online community for PowerShell people. They have a lot of tips. Ask the experts, forums, webcasts, a lot of links to a lot of good stuff. And I'm looking uh, at some of the latest scripts. Um, here's one to analyze and scan networks, one to calculate ISP download utilization. So good stuff. Yeah. Well, everything you've ever thought you might need to do with PowerShell is probably in there somewhere. Just go yeah. look for it. Wrapping, here's one. Wrapping calls to native commands. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Cool. But, uh, so PowerShell.com. One guy basically says, take all this goo here that's like seven or eight lines or three or four lines and make it one call. And, you know, the call looks like a cartoon character swearing. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you can copy and paste it into your PowerShell script and it'll work. Nice. Cool stuff. Richard, who wants a mug? Joe Graff wants a mug. He left a comment on the website at show 640. Let me read it to you. Hey, Carl and Richard, I have to say that I've been using the controller action filters for a little while now, and I couldn't help to think that they're very aspect-like, and it was nice to hear your guests concur on that. And 640 was with uh, Gail Frater yep. talking about AOP. By creating some simple filters, I am able to add action logging just by adding an attribute to the controller. If I want to see the number of users online, it's an intranet site, I have another attribute I can decorate the controller with that will keep track of that based on activities. Finally, we use a role security attribute, which is customized, that will redirect users to an access denied page if they're not allowed on that controller. These are all things that can be added after the main work is done on the site. Great show as always. I could really go for some coffee, but I have no mug. <laughs> Let us well, fix Joe, that for you. here comes your cup of Joe. <laughs> we'll ship a mug out to you as quick as we can. Unfortunately, I don't have your email address. So when you hear this, send us an email, .net rocks at franklins.net, and let us know that you're Joe and you want your mug. Yeah. And if you want a mug, leave a comment on our website, donetrocks.com. And uh, if we like it, if it's useful, we'll read it on the air and we'll send you a mug. If we have a way to tell you. Yeah, so. it would help. We would definitely help if you, you know, log in with Twitter or with Facebook or some way that we can get back to you. Or also and fire us off an email with your address. Sure. 
Richard, our guest today is Adam Driscoll. Adam is a software developer that works with Quest Software in Madison, Wisconsin. He has a strong .NET background, primarily focused in C-sharp. Adam works closely with PowerShell as a developer of the vWorkspace PowerShell module and the author of the Power GUI Visual Studio extension. Adam loves living in Madison because of the unique big city atmosphere while being minutes away from the country. And aside from work, he enjoys frisbee golf, geocaching, and fishing. That's not frisbee, comma, golf. That's frisbee golf. Really? Yep. So, like golf, except you play with a frisbee. Yeah, they're, they're little uh, smaller frisbees. So they can throw them a little bit farther and uh, all different kinds of frisbees. How do you putt? <laughs> uh, they actually make putters. They do? Yeah, they, they fly a little slower, but uh, a lot straighter. So. Uh, and what is the size of the receptacle that you need to put it into? Um, I would say it's like a two-foot diameter uh, steel cage with uh, chains hanging down, so that it like catches the frisbee and it falls into a basket. Wow! And I would point out that frisbee is a brand name. Yeah, the official name of this. Oh sport is yeah, maybe I should call it disc golf. Disc golf, which is which explains absolutely nothing. I think, you know, everybody knows what frisbee golf. You know, immediately get a picture of what it might be. Where disc golf, you're like, that's what exactly? Yeah, God forbid. <laughs> yeah. God forbid I say I'm using a Kleenex. On yeah, the don't show. say it, and yeah. you're not xeroxing anything, and get that band aid. Get off that band aid off your finger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Products. Adam, did we tell you we make our money with product placement? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if we forgot to mention that. Yeah, just ring. Yeah, ring that little uh, cash. Ching, 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 ching. Right. We just had a good two seconds. <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry. Hang on. I got. I'll be right back. I got to get a nice cold Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah. But and did you mention the geocaching? Because I find geocaching fascinating. I love geo. I've never done it, but I want to. It's very cool. It's really cool. It's it's kind of it's like the secret world that you never knew was there, and then to just see how many geocaches are hidden everywhere. It's crazy. And they're bloody everywhere. Like they're just oh, everywhere. Yeah. And uh, just for the uninitiated, a geocache. Well, geocaching is sort of like scavenger hunting around the world, is it not? Yep. You get GPS coordinates, and then you have little clues and stuff, and you have to go out and find. You know, it might be a little ammo box, or they get really, really minuscule, like to the size of pens. Um, they're just hidden everywhere. Yeah, I found a lot of uh, like mason jars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a good because it's a, a cylindrical shape, you know, stuffed inside a pipe or in a tree root or things like that. But you know, you want to keep the contents dry and clean. I think a mason jar is a good choice. Yeah. Yeah, except if it's in a firing range. Then you don't want a mason jar. (laughs) (laughs) I just took a peek on geocaching.com. There's 1.3 million geocaches around the world, according to this website. That's a lot of geocaches. Yeah, they all register with that website, so I'm pretty sure if you're going to find a geocache, you kind of got to go through them. So that's probably a pretty accurate number. That's cool. So we want to talk about your uh, a couple of things. One of them is a a TFS build monitor for Android. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Well, I first started uh, picking up mobile development uh, primarily with Android because of the uh, low cost of entry. I think it was a $30 fee to get your um, application developer license for Android. So I kind of wanted to jump on board, you know, oh, I'm going to make some quick cash on this. And uh, like, what do I do all the time? I, I develop. And one of the things that we have running in our office is 
a TFS build monitor. I thought, wow, it'd be really cool if I could have that on my Android. So I started looking into what it would take to integrate, uh, you know, Microsoft product on a Java platform. Mm-hmm. And what I eventually came up with was that I would have to talk to, you know, the TFS web service directly from Android. Okay, that shouldn't um, be too difficult. Yeah, you, you'd think it'd be too bad. <laughs> <laughs> but like, some of the biggest roadblocks were, like, authenticating, you know, and then, you know, formatting the XML correctly and all that stuff. But, yeah, because um, unlike um, in Visual Studio where a web service is click, 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 boom, you're going. Oh, you I actually know, have exactly. to you have to write that code. Right. And um you know the benefit of the WSDL is that you can get a client generated for you a lot of times. Right. And um a lot of soap, you know, APIs do that, but there was nothing like that on Android, so I had to do it all by hand. Mm-hmm. Um didn't anybody but, in the Android space ever think that they may need to call a web service? You would think so. I mean, uh Google itself doesn't support SOAP at all. There's not a SOAP, uh, you know, API built into the Android platform. Really? There is, no, not at all. So they mostly, mostly JSON sort of stuff. Um, but there is something called KSOAP for Android, which um, is built to run on Android and talk SOAP. But I found it kind of cumbersome to work with personally. And, yeah. um, you know, by the number of calls I was making, it was easier for me to write the XML by hand than try to figure out how to use KSOAP. So it okay. exists, but it's just, uh, I guess, if you need to use it on a larger scale, it might be, you know, more worthwhile. It just, yeah, it sounds like a trivial thing. But, I mean, the whole point here is when a build takes place, it shows up on your phone? Yep, exactly. Uh, it, it's not a push model. It's a pull model. So, it, you know, it, after, like, you know, 30 minutes or so, it'll go check the status of your build. You can also open up the build monitor and, you know, click one of the builds, it'll refresh. Um, it also shows, you know, uh, the status, like, description, like what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can queue new builds from your phone. So, as long as it's not a gated build, because it can't select shell sets. So. That's cool. Yeah. And you only put this up recently. Uh, it's been out for about two months now. Right. Um, I mean, I really didn't market it at all or anything. It was pretty much through Twitter, or my blog. So, just something to try out. Are you selling it? Uh, I started out at ninety nine cents, and then I had no one download it for about two weeks. So I was like, ah, yeah, well, might as well just put it out for free. I don't really care. So. There you go. Yeah, you're not going to make a living from it anyway. No, exactly. You know, if people aren't going to pay. You know, ninety nine cents for Angry Birds. They're not going to pay ninety nine cents. <laughs> 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 guess that's true so are you're using it obviously actively and and it's working real well yeah it does work well uh the one thing is the one limitation is you have to be on your corporate network if you you know are using a corporate tfs server right and vpn or anything like that so um kind of wi-fi is kind of a necessity and was do you think the the security aspect of that was the most difficult thing about it or what yeah because um there's it uses NTLM, NTLM version two for you know uh, Windows services. So I had to figure out a way to do that from the Android platform without having access to Active Directory or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's actually a library out there called JCIFS, which is 
an NTLM uh, authenticator for uh, you know HTTP requests. Mm-hmm. So harnessing that and finding you know a couple blogs that you know kind of pointed me in the right direction, I got it to actually authenticate correctly. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com Telerik. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about Power GUI and uh, the Visual Studio extension. So is this essentially adding um, the ability to write PowerShell scripts in Visual Studio? Uh, yep. It creates a custom editor that has all syntax highlighting and, you know, IntelliSense and... Statement completion all and all that good it, stuff. Yep. Um, I also integrated the debugger so you can launch those scripts. And um, actually yesterday I released a new uh, version that has a Power GUI console, so you can, you know, run quick commands, you don't actually have to write a script, and then it has a project system, so that you can have PowerShell script projects where you could have a collection of scripts. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and, and as soon as I saw that, I thought, wow, I'm, I'm wondering why this, uh, why we didn't have a GUI in the first place, and, you know, not as a, not at all as a, as a slam to you, I mean, it's wonderful, and, and it seems perfectly natural as a, you know, as a PowerShell developer to want to have a GUI. And I'm just wondering why why there wasn't one to begin with. It was really weird the first time I opened a PowerShell script in Visual Studio and there was no, you know, no syntax highlighting whatsoever. It opened as a flat text file, so. Yeah. That's not weird. right. Yeah, I know. Come on, Microsoft. It's, it's, we have this great editor, all this stuff. Like, it's your technology. What were you doing? Yeah, I know. It was kind of like this disconnect that, I don't know. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you use oh. Reflector in as part of the the system, right? I don't use Reflector. I use Reflector to determine, you know, the right calls to make inside Power GUI. Because oh, okay. what I'm doing is I'm loading up the Power GUI assemblies pretty much and then harnessing their editor and stuffing it into Visual Studio. But I have to make sure I initialize it correctly, you know, wrote, load up the correct configuration files and snippets and all that kind of stuff. Ah. That makes sense. How does this whole situation with Reflector grab you as someone who cares a great deal about Reflector, obviously? Um, I honestly think, you know, it, it was great that it was free, but I think it's worth $35. I mean, it's an hmm. amazing tool. I would pay it. So I would, too. I, I'm with you. I would argue the only thing Redgate de- has ever done wrong, and they've been a sponsor of us in the past. I, I, I like their products, but uh, I think they mishandled how they presented the situation. Yeah. But I think $35 is something everybody should... I bet you if you just asked for donations, you would have got more money than that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because we all love Reflector. I always have. I know. So, and I, it, it, I think they could have went a little cheaper even, 
and still had some sort of pay model and it wouldn't have caused such an upset sort of thing. Sure. Mm. But, uh, it was just, the pro is really cool. I've played with it a little bit and the ability to, you know, loaded individual studios awesome, but I just don't see paying, you know, that price for it. Yeah. I think it's just a mistake, a mishandle, not a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was an inevitable, you know, companies buying an open source product, you know, kind of seems to sway that way whenever that happens. Well, hey, funny how soft paying developers cost money. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we need to back up a little bit here and talk about Power GUI initially before the extensions necessarily make sense to everyone because I don't I don't think a lot of folks really understand Power GUI. Mm. Uh, Power GUI is Quest free, well, semi free because they have a pro version as well. But uh, their free version of a Power GUI uh, editor, so it's kind of like PowerShell ISE, which is the integrated scripting environment, mm-hmm, right? Where it has um, it has all that uh, scripting ability, you know, uh, syntax highlighting snippets, like I talked before, but it also has this other component, which is the actual GUI component, where they have um, what they call power packs. Now, what a power pack does is it takes a collection of PowerShell scripts and then makes, a, a, like, a tree view out of it. So you could have your drives, you could have your registry all inside Power GUI, and then you can click on those different nodes, which then populates the grid on the right-hand side with that information. So they have power power packs for VMware, um, you know, ESX servers and Active Directory and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a very community supported uh product. And and why do developers actually care about PowerShell? Isn't that a tool really for IT pros? I, I think it is, but I think that there is there is a little niche for using it in the developers, you know, uh, regular day-to-day work. Like, I use it a lot to test com objects, or it's faster to, you know, stop a process or restart a service rather than click, 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 you know, through your task manager, you can whip up PowerShell, just always have it open, and, you know, in seven characters, you can do that kind of stuff. So, mm. Well, I'm also thinking, you know, because I wear my IT hat some of the time, uh, mm-hmm. I like the way that, I mean, basically IIS has been re-engineered so that all commands for IIS are actually PowerShell commands. And the GUI that sits on top just essentially writes the PowerShell commands. Right. And that's kind of the same way SCVMM works, too. So I think it's kind of Microsoft's new idea of uh, you know, um, management. So. Yeah. I just wonder if it's, if it, is this a sensible thing for us as CRUD app builders or as, you know, typical business app builders to start taking that same approach? I'm wondering, I, I, View Workspace is kind of headed in that direction. Uh, that's the Quest product I work on. Um, mm-hmm. We're in, currently releasing, um, you know, the PowerShell commandlets. And, you know, it's like you're developing this API. If you could have, you know, a GUI that called into that API, then it's like you don't have to develop two things kind of thing. I realize, you know, you can still load up an assembly into, you know, a WPF application and do the same thing. But if you can, you know, harness PowerShell to not only write, you know, execute your business logic, but you could also harness the the power of PowerShell uh, to, like, execute scripts remotely and stuff like that, I think it's really cool. Hmm. I I just think it's wildly compelling. It's just a question of, you know, this gets back to the whole conversation about having developers and IT pros get along. Right. 
the guy who run writes the app versus the guy who has to run the app because you, you you're serving you got to serve each other that way and and it's certainly something I've made a comfortable living trying to facilitate <laughs> exactly and a lot of times it's like you have this GUI that you manage everything with but that GUI doesn't do everything you want it to do so if you have GUI backed by you know a scripting API you can extend that GUI or you know harness a scripting API to really do what you want to do absolutely yeah, I, I and it, yeah, take on administration completely differently. Like, there's a lot of stuff that works differently when you think this way. How difficult right. is it to actually hook the debugger? Um, well, hooking the debugger, you mean Visual Studio? Yeah, like hooking Visual Studio. Uh, it, it was it was a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you have to think about when you're hooking into the debugger, and I didn't even I didn't even touch all of them because. The way I did it was I actually used Power GUI's, um, you know, Windows form control inside Visual Studio. Hmm. But if you were going to link into Visual Studio's editor control, it would be a different, you know, scenario and have to deal with all these different language things. But with um, hooking into Visual Studio Debugger, you have to think about breakpoints, you have to think about starting and stopping the process and all that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of guess and check work. And it seems like the um, the API, if you will, or the interface to the debugger. Uh, I mean, it's it's a very complex process. Did did Microsoft simplify that, or is there still does it still seem like you know programming C plus plus code in nineteen eighty seven? It's a little like that. Uh, it's yeah. all com based, and uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of cryptic. Uh, there's a lot of good examples out there, and they have a sample debug engine project that helped me a lot, but it really wasn't straightforward. Hmm. I mean, they, they have done great things in the, you know, 2010 to make it a lot easier to add add-ins to Visual Studio through the Extension Manager and through the MPF, which is a managed package framework, which lets you use MEF yeah. rather than, um, you know, all Tom. So, there Creating certain things through extensions is a lot easier, but things like the debug engine or the project system are still really complex. Yeah, and are you playing with Studio 2010 when you do that? Because I, I thought they changed a lot of that. Yeah, I am playing with uh, 2010. So, I mean, some of the things, if you look at what you can do with the component model framework, where, you know like taggers or putting things in the margin. You'll see lots of examples like that for the 2010 extensions. Right. But, you know, real complex stuff, they didn't really touch yet, I don't think. What they did do, though, is, like, for the project system, they released an API that wrapped a lot of that com so that you can just extend their API to create the project. So, really... For the Power GUI project in Visual Studio, I didn't have to write all that much code. Nice. Mm. So it, it, once I figured that out, I was like, oh. Because you look at their API, and the class that I was trying to construct is like 6,000 lines in their API. Wow. <laughs> Ugly. Uh, mm. it, it definitely went from you know not being possible to possible by them releasing that. So. About how long did the, did the project take? The entire thing, or just the... You know the project type. Uh, just the the entire the entire Visual Studio extension. Um, I would say the initial release probably took me around like twenty hours because I had to dig into like how Power GUI worked, and then 
it actually was pretty easy to get the editor in there. There are a lot of examples of that. So when I shoved the editor in there, that was that was good. But then once I started doing the debug engine and the project system and the console, I've probably spent, you know, more like 150 hours on it. Hmm. It's, it's, been, it's been a lot of work. And yeah, it sounds like fun. It sounds like you had fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely a lot of fun. I'm excited to see where it goes from here because there's some other cool things coming into the, you know, PowerShell Visual Studio scene. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of Studio Shell at all. No. Um, Studio Shell is going to be an add-in for um, Visual Studio to make it easier to write uh, extensions or little, you know, widgets pretty much for uh, Visual Studio. And it's all based on PowerShell. So you write a PowerShell script to, you know, create a grid that has these things in it. And the author spent a lot of time... um, you know, simplifying the Visual Studio API so that you can hook into, like, the projects and, you know, hook into the different configurations and hook into, you know, that kind of stuff. So, For folks who never really looked at PowerShell before, is it's it seems like it's a hybrid. I'm obviously, it's you can program in .NET as well, but it's also just scripting too, right? Yep, yep. So it, it's definitely a scripting language, but it has all the power of .NET behind it. I mean, you can load COM objects, you can call WMI, um, you can load assemblies into it and execute, you know. If there's not a commandlet for it, you can call the class directly, sort of thing. You can create new objects, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just wonder, how complicated do you want your scripts to get that you're actually writing .NET code? Right, and that's where you kind of got to, like, should I just write C-sharp here? <laughs> because it's my well, and isn't it C-sharp? Uh, PowerShell? Like in PowerShell, you can actually call into a .NET assembly. So I guess you you could write that piece in C sharp, but the call to it is not. Right, and that's where you know the the benefit of PowerShell comes from modules and providers not calling into you know .NET classes like that. Okay. So I mean, if someone took the time to you know wrap a particular you know command in a commandlet and made it you know real simple for you to call into, then you you start seeing the the benefit in PowerShell. I'm I'm trying to think about the kinds of applications or scripts, I guess you would call them, that you write in PowerShell. And um, it basically just comes down to sort of system level, network level maintenance that can be automated. This is yeah, what I think of. Like, of. But yeah. what are there are there things that PowerShell can do outside of that IT box that we might not be thinking of? Um. I've been trying to blur that line a little bit, and I think primarily it's still an IT tool. I think things are going to start coming out of the woodwork where, you know, it's going to be more beneficial to developers, like, I don't know, uh, searching for stuff in compiled assemblies or something like that, where, you know, it has access to that assembly, and you can write a script against that assembly. You might need to do something developer-based, but I, I really don't think right now it's at that point. I think it needs to be realized a little bit more. I mean, there's two different pieces here. There's the idea of developers building commandlets, stuff that can be called from PowerShell for their apps. Mm -hmm. And then there's the kind of code you write to communicate with commandlets. And I'm still trying to get clear on, you know, where you would actually use .NET to communicate with commandlets. Um, Yeah, that, that would be like the presentation layers sort of thing, 
or you'd have, you know, your your PowerShell and your .NET would communicate with PowerShell present an API. But okay. I mean, there's even um, there's frameworks out there right now written in PowerShell to create WPF applications. So then you kind of I don't know, kind of this blurry blurry realm. Well, and then then it begs the question: Why aren't you just doing it in WPF? You know, right? Exactly. With all the XAML and data binding and all. What about servers? Was, what you know? Any kind of um, any kind of services or servers that you can can you write those in PowerShell, or is this strictly like a tool generating script language? I would think it's more of a tool generating. It'd be pretty. I think a pretty complex PowerShell script to write a service like that. Yeah. But I guess if you're if you're doing any kind of I've I've written you know these little apps for to to manage my system for years and years as Richard has too, and you know one one of the great things about PowerShell if you can if you tell me what you think is that all the information about the system is right there at your fingertips and whereas in Visual Studio we'd have to drag in a performance monitor component uh, perfmon component or this component, or that component, or find the namespace where things are in. I mean, everything is, and, and then some things are there and some things aren't. Everything is right there. Isn't that pretty much the experience of PowerShell script development? Right. It, it shortens a lot of the work that you would take to do a lot of that stuff. Right. Sometimes I do, like I was saying, you know, they kind of are IT tasks, you know, restarting services and kind of objects and that kind of stuff, but uh, it does kind of shorten the work when you can, you know, not take your hands off the keyboard sort of thing. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at InRule. Hey, coding ninja, what if your business users could update their own decision logic, but you still had control over how it's used? With InRule, the only business rule technology built for .NET, you can reduce hard coding and change requests. InRule is extensible and customizable. Developers get a rich SDK and an extensible framework. Business users get integration with Word and a Microsoft Office-like UI. Visit InRule.com for a free trial download and see for yourself why another coding ninja calls InRule the best investment in software we've ever made. Check out InRule Technologies link on our website at .netrocks.com. Is there a really good PowerShell language reference that you use somewhere online where, I mean, that's the biggest problem I find is that, I, all right, now what do I do? You get that blank screen effect, you know? Mm-hmm. Is there a really good reference? Well, uh, I, I would pick up a book. I had uh, Microsoft re- released uh, PowerShell Best Practices. Uh-huh. It was a really good book for... Uh, you know, it, it not only went over, like, the syntax, you know, some cool commandments, but then it had a lot of solutions. Mm. Like, I need to do this. You know, here's a bunch of stuff to do that sort of thing. Well, um, there's a huge collage of websites out there that are, like, repositories for PowerShell scripts. Yeah, there's uh, poshcode.org, which people just upload their scripts to. So, I mean, if if you need to write a script, I'd check there first sort of thing. So. Posh code, P-O-S-H-C-O-D-E dot org? Yep. The PowerShell code repository? Yep. Cool. We'll definitely add a link to that. For sure. Yeah. That's a cool one. Yeah. I'm looking here, and just out of curiosity, the first item that comes up is called Test Port by Bo Prox, B-O-E-P-R-O-X. 
uh, advanced function used to test UDP or TCP port or ports on one or more systems to determine if it's open or not. That's the kind of tool that PowerShell really does well. Any any of those network or system utilities, good stuff. That's a that's a cool site. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and in the end, it, I mean this this script here. I'm looking at it, the one for for opening TC, checking to see if a port's open or not. This is just calling into some library that does all that work. System.net.sockets.tcp client. Right. So yeah. there's no magic here. It's just a, a ability to call into the to the framework. Yeah. Would you think about it? These are wicked cool code samples for anybody just running writing an app. You could pick up yeah. this code and without a whole lot of effort just embed it in your app. Oh. Well, I didn't even know that library existed. <laughs> I um we were talking uh we were talking before about utilities that communicate to us through SMS or emails or uh Twitters or anything and I, I kinda like doing that, but I got a funny story for you. In the beginning of development of our new publisher, which we've been working on for a while, I asked my um you know, the editors that work on .NET Rocks, when they're done with the show, they run this Silverlight app that uploads it and that kicks off a process that sends it to Amazon and tags it and puts it in the database and all that. And um, so that one of the first times that, you know, I was, I was like, all right, guys, use it and tell me what you think, right? The first test. Well, the editor uh, pub, uh, published the file and then went home. And it, it's a 10-minute process, right? But what happens is if there's a problem, I had coded in there to send me Carl, a text message through email, right? Send me a text message saying that there's an error so then I could go fix it. Well, I guess that logic wasn't written all that well. So what ended up happening is I'm sitting on a plane on the tarmac and my, I'm, you know, I'm like five minutes before we're supposed to take off. So I'm just checking my email all of a sudden, bing, publisher error. I'm like, oh, okay. And I go to close that and bing, there's another publisher error and it's the same error. And then bing, like every 30 seconds, I'm getting a new text message. So I'm like, shit, what's going on? Now I'm just trying to dial. I'm just trying to use my same phone to dial the developer's phone number. And I can't because these messages keep popping up, right, <laughs> over the phone app. So, so I'm sitting here and trying to – I finally reach him. And, and it's like the voicemail. And I'm like, hey, ding. Hey, listen, <laughs> ding. I was like, I got the hiccups or something, right? So I couldn't reach him in time. And you know, he was gone. And so it was a, like a four-hour flight. So by the time I landed, I had four hours worth of thirty-second interval text messages to de to delete. And and then I had to use the landline in my hotel room to call the developer and tell him to go back to the studio and shut down this stupid publisher. Awesome. So yeah, debugging and testing always a good thing, kids. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm wondering if PowerShell could actually contribute to sort of the um, continuous integration and test side of things as well, because it's so good at running scripts like that. Yeah, uh, TFS now has an integration point for uh, launching PowerShell scripts. So really? You, yeah, you can do all that kind of stuff through PowerShell rather than, you know, bat files and all that stuff. So. Interesting. I mean, that just sounds like a good idea, right? I mean, because this is most times we struggle with the automation piece of making a continuous integration work, how you launch different things, just managing all of that. And it sounds like PowerShell would be the perfect tool for that. 
like an uncompiled, you know, .NET assembly almost, you know. You yeah. change it on a whim without having to recompile sort of thing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's huge potential here. So where does Power GUI fit into the equation? Why do we need it? Power GUI makes writing complex tasks a little bit easier because you can kind of click, click, click. I think um, it has more of an IT uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I wrote a script that goes to all our servers and you know, does this or something like that. But I think... Obviously, the script editor is nice for developers as well because you get all the syntax highlighting, but those are the people that are writing, you know, scripts. But if you have people that maybe aren't PowerShell inclined, and, you know, they can download a power pack that does all kinds of stuff that uh, the GUI might not be able to do, but through a GUI, I guess. So. Right. Well, and I think PowerShell is one of those things where it's very tough to memorize. There's a lot of bits and pieces. You always have to look at documentations when you're writing any script. Yeah, and that's one of the other nice things about PowerShell is it all has integrated help. So you can type get help, the name of the command, and it'll return all the help. Let's say, you know, what all the parameters are, you know, examples and all that kind of stuff. But it's all command line driven. Yep. Although that seems to be really hip these days. I don't know if you've noticed this, Carl. Even developers talking about, you know, Mm. I'm happy to be at the command line. Well, it's a matter of control. I think there's been a backlash against, you know, really big, bulky development environments when especially when the stuff you're writing is these little tools and utilities i mean it kind of seems absurd to load 100 gigs of program into memory <laughs> to write a shell you know so i think the, the one of the reasons that developers become developers is because they like control over the machine and you know it gets to a point after a while and correct me tell me what you think but it gets to a point after a while where you really feel like you've lost control yeah, I mean, even, like, Visual Studio sometimes, you know, well, I just installed, you know, 10 extensions in here, and now when I click, it takes about 30 seconds for this to load. Right. All I want to do is write, you know, hello world. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, on the flip side of that, there is something entirely satisfying when you do use the big toolkits to do a lot of work. Um, if you're doing that kind of work, I mean, nobody wants to sit and rewrite you know, Microsoft Word from the ground up or or Internet Explorer or anything like that. So if you're writing those kinds of applications that utilize some of these higher level features, of course you're going to need to go there. But if you're doing really simple stuff, man, nothing nothing is completely as satisfying, I think, sometimes is, you know, the low-level approach, mm-hmm. I think. Sounds like a little hacker sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was more emphasis on you and your smarts versus the tool you used, right? Right. Feels good for your ego. Yeah, but yeah. sometimes, you know, generating an entire, you know, entity model from, you know, like EF4 is really nice. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I didn't have to write all that data there. Especially when you can charge your customer what you think they think that you did by hand, et cetera, et cetera you know. No, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did this. It took hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> no really. I started playing no, really. with um, MVC3 and Razor on top yeah. of entities, and it's just like, oh, this is too easy. Right. <laughs> yeah, you almost feel guilty about charging for it. Yeah, this isn't real work. We're just goofing around here. Right. <laughs> yeah. I get to play with all this new stuff. <laughs> but the flip side of that is that, you know, people who know how to use those tools and those high-level tools 
they can do be a lot more productive and right, exactly. get paid for it. Well, you know, I can see, you know, you feel like you're losing control sometimes. And you know, all of a sudden that custom situation comes up. It's like, no, can't do this. Right. Yeah, I found the uh, the TFS power tools on uh, the Visual Studio Gallery website. There's uh have you ever noticed that there's just too many Microsoft websites? Like there you got to really look for things, but make sure we add a link there as well for folks who want to use PowerShell and TFS together. Microsoft has a tool. You just have to find it. Make sure when you install it you go to custom cuz they don't turn it on by default. Right. Uh You've obviously learned this the hard way. We are on PowerShell command list. Yeah. yeah, there's some cool things that come out of that um, add-on, actually. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, there's the Alert Explorer, which lets you set up different alerts and, you know, get them saved in TFS. You don't have to worry about them, like sending out emails and work items change and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then there's um, shell integration. So if you were to go into, um, you know, Windows Explorer, go to a source-controlled folder, it'll have, you know, little check marks pretty much on all the files that are, you know, currently in source control and what state they're in. You don't have to actually open up Visual Studio to check in and check out files, which is kind of nice. It is nice. So what's next for you? Are you, are you going to continue working on these tools? Do you have another project in mind? Um, I'm exploring right now. I, I kind of want to take this Power GUI thing a little bit further. I want to see what I can do with this project system. Mm-hmm. So I kind of laid the found foundation for you know a bunch of cool stuff I could do. So I'll see how that goes. But um, I don't really know. I'm going to start experimenting. I've been talking with people about Android development, so it kind of got me excited again. So maybe I'll think of something else. Maybe add to the TFS monitor. Not quite sure yet. More Android apps. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, where does Android and PowerShell intersect? I don't see that happening. Um. Well, actually. Well, I guess, I mean, this isn't really intersecting, but there is, for PowerGUI Pro, they have a mobile shell um, application, which oh, yeah. runs on, you know, Android and BlackBerry and iPod and all that stuff, and it lets you execute uh, PowerShell commands through your phone. So, you know, if you're an administrator and all your servers turned off and you need to turn them on from somewhere or something like that. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Adam Driscoll, thank you very much for spending this time with us and telling us about your great work, and it looks cool. Thank you guys for having me. You're welcome. I appreciate it. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. .net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-